It's my privilege this morning to introduce to you uh, our guest speaker, Matt Jaynes. And he, uh, I met him several years ago in, in our involvement with, uh, with missions. He uh, uh, works with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada right across our nation in the area of missions. And it's just a, a, a real privilege to have him with us this morning. Uh, he's a home-brewed coffee promoter. Uh, problem solver, professional TV advocate, lover of one woman. He's a web geek. He has a gift of sarcasm. He's an amateur reader, a hopeful dreamer, bonfire snacks ninja. Not sure what that is, but it got me intrigued there, man. Uh, slightly self-conscious, friend of food, Ottawa-born, Toronto immigrant, travel junkie, Apple fanboy, wannabe introvert, incredibly cheap, creator of kids, yes, thrift shopper, prone to fits of apathy, certified volleyball fanatic, I know that for a fact, that you don't want to be on the end of his serves, uh, neighborhood nerd, planet guy, Kijiji obsessed, secretly insecure, avid thinker, cat man, which we'll forgive you for, devoted dirt bike rider, but most importantly, follower of Jesus. And uh, we're glad you're here this morning with us, Matt. One thing I just want to say that if you want to spend a little bit more time with this guy, uh, this afternoon we're having a, uh, an information session at 2.30 in downstairs in the lower auditorium. Uh, if you have any uh, interest or inkling and want to find out more about what is involved in going on a a midterm missions trip, which is longer than two weeks, uh, but shorter than two years type of thing. Um, or if you feel God calling you in that way, uh, you want to be at that session 2.30. And so uh, Matt's going to lead us through that. And so love to see you out there. Can we just welcome Matt as he, as he speaks this morning? Thank you, Pastor Dallas, Pastor Darcy, and other pastors who had no idea I was coming. Thank you, too. Um, it's great to be with Generations Church this morning. What a great church name. Honestly, when I picture going to church, especially with my, my uh, aging parents and my young children, I picture the generations gathering together and worshiping Jesus together. So I love your church name. Uh, use it until it works for you and then find another one. It's just a name. Um, I was asked to volunteer a couple of years ago uh, for my son's field trip. He was... Uh, just a grade seven junior hire, you know, uh, those kids that are just caught in the middle of everything that is puberty. And um, my son said, Dad, would you come on a field trip with my class? My class, my friends all think you're pretty cool, and, um, and they, we would love to have you. So I said, okay, it sounds pretty harmless. I didn't really know what I was getting into. But I got onto a bus full of prepubescent or right in the middle of all that uh, craziness, uh, junior hires, and I went on this field trip to this, uh, uh, to this Aboriginal uh, reserve kind of museum in the Toronto area uh, in the, uh, that was celebrating the, the life and the mission of the Wendat people. And it was fascinating. It was eye-opening for me. Not just what I learned there about uh, uh, missionaries who originally came to Canada and all that they did, what they did well, what they did poorly, uh, but also about... Uh, about 40 junior high kids uh, who were just swarming around me and making life crazy. 
Uh, and I didn't really know why my son wanted me there so badly, but he said, Dad, when I, when I said in class that you were coming, every kid put up their hand saying they wanted to be on your team. And then when they, you know, they mentioned the teacher's name, nobody wanted to be with the teacher, and nobody wanted to be with this other lame lady mom, but everyone wanted to be with you, Dad. So he put the, the pressure on me, and I caved, and I gave in, and I, I went and volunteered on this trip. It was, uh, I had a blast. I didn't really understand why everybody wanted to be on my team until lunchtime. And I'm sitting there at lunchtime, and all of a sudden, I find myself surrounded by about 10 girls. And they're really working it, trying to get to know me. Tell me more about yourself, Mr. Janes, they would say. Tell me more about your wife. Tell me more about your family. Who does Tyler like? My son's name is Tyler. And I saw what they were going for in that moment. They were digging in and trying to find out more about my son. So they thought that getting close to the father would give them the information they were looking for. And uh, there was questions about, who is he taking to preteen dance? Don't worry. We don't send our kids to preteen dance. We're Christians. But they wanted to know who he was going with. And then, who is he going to the grad dinner with? And it was this moment where I realized that I'm nothing more than a father of a grade seven hottie. <sighs> My son looks nothing like me, so that's uh, what he has going for him. Uh, volunteering, it's on the rise. There's a stat, and by the way, 100% uh, or 92% of stats are made up 100% of the time at the time someone's quoting them. So I don't know if you want to believe this, but there's a stat out there that says that 47% of Canadians volunteer. I think that's pretty phenomenal. Um, I was in the foyer this morning just minding my own business, chatting up a couple of people, and I got caught up in volunteering. And I don't know if you noticed my amazing flag carrying this morning, but um, you're, yeah, I know, I'm pretty good at it. Takes a special skill, right? Um, your children's ministries director just pointed at me. I think I was wandering around and looking lost, and she said, do you want to carry a flag? I said, yeah, I'd love to. That would be amazing. And then someone beside her said, do you know who he is? Like, like that, that's the thing, right? Just a speaker guy, right? And she said, I have no idea who he is. Can he carry a flag? Does he have arms, right? So I was like, yeah, I'm in. So I, I got caught up in volunteering today. I was chatting with Dave. Is Dave in the room? Uh, Dave, the, uh, Dave, the prophet. There he is right there, Dave. The perpetual volunteer. This guy and I were talking in the foyer about crusaders. Anyone here old enough to remember crusaders? And to keep the honor code and to shake with the C and uh, say Aleph and, and your sash and all that kind of stuff. This guy ran Crusaders for a couple of decades and still works with the children. Uh, Dave gets volunteering, right? I love volunteers. Volunteers make community work. We need people to put up their hands and say, I'll do that. We need people to take a look at what needs to be done and say, I'm willing to participate. So volunteer, volunteerism is on the rise. Some people are skeptical. They, they don't know all the time about the organization that they're uh, looking at volunteering with. They're worried about the authenticity. Is this a scam? Will this organization end up on the news? And will I feel badly that I partnered with them? Uh, some people say they don't have the time or they want to know what's in it for them. What will I get in return if I volunteer with you? Volunteering is, I use the Google. You guys know the Google machine, right? So I use the Google machine. I said, what is volunteering? And volunteering came up with this definition. It's the act of spending time and providing unpaid skill or service 
intending to benefit or help an organization or an individual. That's what the internet says that volunteering is. But of course, we all know for anyone who's done this, it's a lot more than just that. We get a ton more out of it. There's endless learning. It widens our worldview, especially if we volunteer abroad or we travel a little bit. Uh, It boosts our self-confidence. It adds leadership skills to our lives. We learn while we're volunteering. Other people would say that it makes you healthy, that it gives you a stress-free life, and that it uh, involves you in positive vibes and you become a happier person. So who wouldn't want to volunteer, right? Of course, there are costs. It also helps us with connections with others, perhaps career development. Maybe you are here this morning and you volunteered at the beginning where you now have worked full-time for maybe a number of years or even a couple of decades. Maybe you started off by saying, I'll do that for free because I really want to help. Uh, other people would say that it makes new friends. I, um, I'm married. Uh, I tell my wife things I'm learning, and I gave her all of these uh, things. I said, look, I'm looking into volunteering. I'm trying to define it. Uh, it said all this about volunteering. She said, that's great. Would you start volunteering in the kitchen? Some wives are so mean. I wonder if any of these volunteer uh, benefits were obvious to David. Not you, David, and not you, David. When he volunteered to take on Goliath. Can you picture young David sitting there Googling, (laughs) volunteering? When he was asked to step up or when anyone was asked to step up to meet that giant Goliath, do you think David was sitting around wondering about his connections and how that would improve his um, visibility in the community or how that might lead to a stress-free life or uh, how it might help him with his mental health, how that might have uh, maybe encouraged him to learn new skills or new tricks. I'm not sure that those things were in King David's mind when he said, I'll help out with this giant. David's story of volunteering, and, and I would say specifically volunteer mission, is found in uh, Samuel, season 1, uh, episode 17. If you guys have your Bibles and you want to turn there, it's Samuel, season 1, episode 17. And it's around, I'm going to pick up the scripture uh, in just a few moments around the 32-minute mark, or the, sorry, the 28-minute mark. You guys know what I'm doing, right? Yeah. But where are all the Netflix uh, bingers? I don't see them here. Or maybe that's you. I don't know. Uh, so we're going to pick up the story, and, and you're familiar with it. You know the story of David and Goliath. I'm not going to tell you anything new today about this story. Um, it's a period of war. Israel is at it again with the Philistines. Uh, they're against each other, and they've taken two positions where they live, and they've pitched camp on two hills with a large valley in between. So they are uh, setting up camp, and they're on two hills with this huge valley in the middle. And they're sort of uh, exchanging insults and yelling things at each other and challenging each other across the valley. Now, the Philistines have a champion warrior. Uh, He's on their side, and he's among their troops, and he is known as Goliath. You've heard of him, right? Does anybody know the stats on Goliath? Extra points this morning if you know Goliath's stats. Height, weight, size of spear, anybody? Okay, that's good. That's, uh, That's okay for a pastor, I guess, but anyone know their Bible better than your pastor? 
Okay, all right, so Goliath was nine foot nine. So that's kind of like Pastor Darcy with Pastor Dallas on his shoulders. Do we want to try that this morning? <laughs> yeah, okay. that might go poorly, so let's not, but you can picture it, right? So he's nine foot nine. He's got a coat of armor that's 200 pounds. I'm 230 pounds. That's like me. <laughs> that's like these guys wearing me. Can you picture that now? That got a little bit weirder. But it's huge, super tall, and very large, heavy, right? And the Bible also says that his spear tip was 25 pounds. Uh, you look like you're probably about 25 pounds. That's like this young girl right here being on the tip of a spear. That'd get a little awkward. I you know, probably wouldn't fight very well with it. But picture this guy, huge coat of armor. I'm his coat of armor. I'm, I'm about that size. And a spear tip the size of a young child. And someone else, his shield was so heavy, someone else had to carry his shield. He couldn't. He had a spear, he had his coat of armor, and someone else walked around with his shield in front of him. So this is Goliath. And Goliath would come out and he would taunt the Israelite camp from across the valley. From one hill to the other, Goliath would come out and he'd say, who wants to fight? Who wants to take me on? And he was looking for a one-on-one because this guy, Goliath, knew that if he involved everyone, it might be a little bit more even. But if it was just one-on-one, one man against another man, that he'd probably decimate this guy and that they would win. So he would come out into the valley and he would yell things out to the Israelites and he'd taunt them and he'd challenge them to come to battle with him. Me, one-on-one, man-on-man, you against me. And he did this with the Philistine army for about 40 days. That's pretty annoying, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but something annoying, I can only stand for a couple of minutes and then I want to just get out of there or leave. But this guy taunted the other army from across a valley for 40 days. And the Israelites, they weren't interested. They didn't have a 10-foot giant uh, with a 200-pound uh, you know, coat of armor over on their side. So they didn't want to do this. They were not interested. They knew that their best man would probably get, uh, what's the biblical term for getting destroyed? Uh, smited. Do we say smited? Smote. Uh, smitten. No, not smitten. That's something else, I think. But uh, sm- let's go with s- uh, smote. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds biblical, right? So they didn't have a 10-foot giant over there, so they're terrified. So nobody steps up. Nobody comes to the forefront and says, I've got this. I'll do this. And most of David's family, his bros, were involved in the war. So David had many brothers, and they had actually gone off to war. Uh, But David had stayed back to watch the family sheep. I don't know if uh, David was anti-war, if he just thought war was a bad idea, but he stayed around. Thank you. That's an Ontario joke. Um, they, they don't laugh there. That's very kind of you. Um, so one day, David's dad suggested that, that he run out. And you can check out uh, um, episode 17. You can read the part where David is sent out on a cheese and cracker run to his brothers. Uh, the dad says, why don't you take some food out to your bros? So he packages up cheese and crackers, and he does a run out to them. And uh, David arrives while all the men are lining up in their battle position. And he hears Goliath's daily challenge. Me against you. Who's man enough to take me on? Bring it on. Anyone out there willing to take on me, the giant, Goliath? David's kind of interested in this. He's he's listening. And the next little bit in the passage here or in the episode is a funny exchange where David is clarifying the prize for stepping up. A lot of us are like this. I'm like this. I, I have to tell you, 
Whenever I hear about an opportunity, I do that thing that I talked about earlier where I'm like, well, what exactly is in it for me? I wish I could tell you I was pure as the driven, by the way, congratulations on your snow. Uh, Pure as the driven snow and just like always not looking at what's in it for me. And just saying, I'm willing, I see the need and I'm willing to step up, I'll do it. I'm not always like that. I'm like, what am I going to get out of it? Or what's the experience going to be like for me? How will this improve my resume? I do often think like that. And David was also human. We know this about him. And he was checking out the prize. And he found out that if he had stepped up, he was going to get one of the king's daughters to be his wife. And he would also have a tax-exempt status for his entire family. That's not bad. King's wife, a king's uh, daughter for his wife. And then also tax-exempt status. That's a pretty good deal. But he had to put his hand up and say, I'll fight the giant. So this next little bit is him clarifying, and his brothers get really upset with him because they think that he's just there ditching the family sheep and not paying any attention to what he should be doing. And instead, he's over here finding out what the the spoils are uh, of war and maybe uh, watching them get defeated. They don't like his presence. So let's pick it up at minute I'll say minute 27. So minute 27, it says, they told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. So they're clarifying again the prize. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. So the brothers are not happy that he's there. And they're kind of mocking him and trolling him a little bit and saying, you know, what are you doing here, man? You're you're a punk. Go home. Family sheep are missing you. And so what can you really do here? So David says, what is it with you? I love the younger brother pushback. I'm a younger brother. Uh, My brother, I'm convinced my parents love him more. And so I would just say the same kind of thing. What is it with you? Why don't you give me a chance, older brothers? Come on, you guys. And David said, all I did was ask a question. All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answer as before. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. So Saul heard that David was asking questions, clarifying the prize of this volunteer mission, and said, send that boy to me. I want to meet with him. I want to talk to him. Master, said David, when David finally got to be with Saul, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. I'm going to read that part again. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. I love David's boldness in this moment where he's willing, he's he's checked out the scene. He knows that he could be in danger. He knows he could be destroyed. He sees uh, a a man with a a shield bearer and a a spear with a tip the size of a small child and a uh, a armor coat the size of me. (laughs) And he knows, and he still says, I'm willing to go. I'll do it. I love his volunteer heart in that moment. I'll go. I see David, he's not who everyone thought he was. They thought he was a poor shepherd boy. But at this point, he'd actually already been anointed king quietly and behind the scenes, but Saul didn't even know it. 
So not only is he just a shepherd boy, but he's also a volunteer king. That says a lot about someone who knew that he could probably preserve his own life and have a great kingdom and, uh, and reign and not have to ever do anything dangerous, just like most kings of the time would just send everyone else out. And David still knew that there was an opportunity to do something, and he stepped up. It's my favorite thing about this young David. There's some debate that goes on after this between Saul and David about whether or not he can handle himself. David gives his credentials, and if you read on or if you watch the rest of the episode, you'll find out that he says, I've torn lions and bears apart with my hands, and this punk, this punk Goliath, he's next. I'll rip him apart with my hands. And Saul's heard enough. He says, someone has volunteered. I don't have to. You see, the other king who doesn't even know he's not even king anymore says, I'm off the hook. This is beautiful. I get to escape with, uh, you know, my body intact, and I'm not going to get pulled apart by some giant from a people group we can't stand. Saul says, all right, I'm going to give you my outfit, because he looks at David, and David isn't much of a package. And Saul says, I'm going to give you some of my equipment. Uh, So he brings his war clothes and his armors. It's kind of like a medieval version of say yes to the dress. And all this stuff is just way too big for David. He hangs it on him. And it's massive, and it weighs him down, and he doesn't feel uh, like himself. So he ditches it all, and he takes with him a couple of the tools of his trade. He would have had, as a a shepherd boy, he would have had a slingshot in his toolkit of things that he would have had. And that's all he he actually goes into war with. And he he goes off at this moment, what he's carrying simply on him in his hand, and he goes off to meet the giant. He's got a staff, a shepherd's bag, a sling, and then he stops on the way for just five smooth stones. And Goliath sees David coming, and he's offended. He's like, you're sending this boy to me? He hasn't even hit puberty, right? He's like those junior high kids I was on the bus with. He's like, you're sending this punk to me? I'm going I'm to destroy him. The Bible actually says, he curses David, and he says, I'll feed your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David He can't come up with a better insult, so he says, back at you. That's what I'm going to do uh, with your head. It's kind of a lame insult, right? It's like uh, your mama jokes or dissing your mama. He's like, no, your mama, right? So he's got this back and forth with the giant, and then the moment arrives. It's almost not important to me, or I'll say to all of us if I can this morning, what happens next. That might be in the next episode. You can go home and watch the rest of it. And binge the rest of the story if you want. For me, it's not important what happens next. Because I love what David did in this story. He saw a problem, something that was going on in his community. And he volunteered to be part of the solution. And he simply used what God had given him and what he had in his hand to try to fix the issue. That is what I love about this David story. Not even interested in what happens next. Are you? Maybe you are. You can watch it when you get home. But I love this volunteerism and this attitude of David. Have you ever seen the sign around? Maybe your pastors, they seem like godly people. So maybe they haven't hung a sign like this around. But it would be a good sign to have. If you don't like what you see, volunteer. <laughs> right? And, and people will come. I used to be a pastor. I'm... Um, And people would come all the time and say, you know what, pastor, 
this is what's wrong with our church, or we really need this program, or we really need to start this initiative, or we should really be doing this. And I would, I'd learned after about 10 years at the same church that the only way to get out of that moment was to say, I'll be really excited when you start that. <laughs> if you don't like what you see, volunteer. Be a part of the solution instead of being the ongoing complainer about what's not being done. And it really doesn't get much more complicated than that. In my work with the International Missions Office for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, I get to interact with some phenomenal people. A lot of them are paid missionaries or or vocational global workers. They raise a salary, and your church, by the way, thank you so much for all of the funds that you give our global workers. I've taken a couple of pictures of your brochure. I've been uh, WhatsApping it and messaging it to uh, global workers around the world. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I'm in a brochure. What church are you at? And then I send them pictures of these guys. And they're like, oh, sorry. No, I'm kidding. They're like, oh, you're at Generations. Great. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, these are my friends. I open this brochure and I see my friends here. And uh, they're doing amazing work around the world. And they're there and are they're able to stay there because of what you give sacrificially. Maybe that's part of your volunteerism. Maybe that's part of what you're doing, and you're saying, I'm giving. This is what I can do right now. I like to give. Maybe some of you go on short-term missions trips. We talked last night at the, uh, the International Supper last night about who had participated somewhere around the world on short-term mission. Can I get just a show of hands today? Who's been on a short-term missions trip around the world somewhere to help out a global worker or some national workers? Okay. Fantastic. There's a lot of you. See, you know. You've done this. You've been like a David at one point. You've put up your hand and said, I'll do that. And then others are actually uh, what we call midtermers. And uh, Pastor Dallas was talking about this afternoon, the the information session we're going to have about people who go for a little bit longer than a a couple of weeks. And they're not going for life, but they they volunteer to go for a few months. And we're going to hear from a midtermer who is among you. Uh, This is Dave Boyce. He's going to join me. Dave you can come up here uh, and grab a corded mic. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dave Boyce uh, was gone for four months. Did you miss him? How many, be honest, how many didn't notice he'd left? Test, test. <laughs> no, of course, you, of course you noticed he was gone. So we've got people like Dave who go for a couple of months and help out one of our global workers. And then we also have our long-term missionaries. Let me just tell you, before I talk about Dave and before we ask him a few questions, um, are you proud of Islanders? Is that a thing? Do you like your own people? Okay, I'm, you might scoff at this, but I'm particularly proud about people who are from Ontario. I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah, Ontario, there's a little bit of a fist bump, and we know we're boring, and we know we're bureaucratic, and we're too organized and way too wound up. But anyways, we're, we're proud of each other, right? So there's an islander, Abby Miller, who's from Victoria, and she goes to Glad Tidings there, GT Victoria. Uh, You know this church? Abby Miller's a young volunteer who went off to Thailand a couple of years ago to work with Imagine Thailand, a ministry there, uh, started by Peter Dove, who's in your brochure, and carried on by Matt and Amber Price, who's also in your brochure. Abby went to work with Imagine Thailand. She spent a year with them volunteering, and while she was there, she got involved in the local church. Um, and then discovered another ministry called Nightlight Bangkok. Nightlight is a ministry to prostitutes and to sex workers who are trying to work with these young women and the lady boys, people who have uh, transitioned, 
and are also prostituting themselves in Bangkok. And these women are, uh, are ministered to by this uh, ministry. They try to work with these women to get them off of the streets and living a better life. Abby volunteered there for a year. So she's been in Thailand for about two years in total. And she has been a caseworker advocate. When a lot of these girls go to trial, Abby shows up and supports them. She helps them make their appointments. She helps to work with the lawyers. And she tries to uh, ensure that these women get fair trials and then try to help restore their lives after that ordeal is over. She's one of you. She's an islander. And she's from Victoria. She's got home in December, and she's hoping to redeploy in July of 2020 as a full-time vocational global worker. She, she's decided to make the leap into getting paid and doing this for the rest of her life. She started off as a volunteer. She said, I see that issue. I see that giant. And, and I'm putting my hand up, and I'm going to go for it. And Abby may make her way up the island. I don't really know what her plans are. We're going to encourage her to come up this way. And she may come knocking, guys, on your door. So, folks, we need to give more so we can take on more global workers. Am I allowed to say that out loud without the board's permission? We would love to see Abby Miller. She's, um, she's 24 years old. We would love to see her on a life of mission overseas. All right, Dave Boyce, the volunteer missionary among you. I got to meet Dave uh, mid-2019, early 2019, when he said... Uh, I want to go and participate on mission. Dave, why don't you take a few moments and tell everybody um, what you did for the last four months of your life. Uh, Okay, so in Vanuatu, I supported Dave and Julie Wood. Uh, Julie was in Canada with surgery and uh, um, helped out with the leadership team at the International Christian Church. So I did do some sermons and hosting um, there. Um, That church supports missionaries and uh, Bible translators. So it's not um, maybe that initial view of helping the local culture specifically, but expatriates who themselves need support. Um, And I never anticipated that. I didn't really understand Dave and Julie were doing that and providing a valuable service there. So that was one of the things. Um, Prison ministry as well, so low, medium, high risks. was in there, and that was uh, about messaging. Um, We were able to pray with the prisoners, uh, worship with them, and just simply fellowship with them and create relationship with them, and um, shared last night that we had several of them go off into the missions field within the prison system, into the uh, national system. So um, places that uh, missionaries have been unable to go, we, we were able to get inmates themselves who had given their life to Christ in missions. Um, I worked in schools there, um, taught uh, in both elementary and secondary level uh, teaching, um, and uh, yeah, I, it just kept going on from there, so it was a really great experience. Now, you have an interesting background. Is your identity, uh, your former life, is that hidden from most people here? I don't believe so. I think everybody... Have you ever, have you ever walked around the church and flashed a badge or... Uh, no, I haven't done that. No. Okay. Because you could, man. This guy, why don't you tell everybody uh, what you did for work, for life, and then okay. how the, that skill set in particular was helpful in Vanuatu with the ministry. All right. Um, so I joined the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in 1985 and uh, served with them around uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the territories in British Columbia, 
um, up until I retired January 3rd of 2019, um, and uh, variety of jobs within that that field. And um, I suppose one of the obvious was that I was a facilitator, um, teacher, uh, instructor with the RCMP and some of the training programs, and um, came in certainly came in handy being able to have that skill set. Um, leadership, administration, operation, um, getting along with people, uh, problem solving, um, a lot of maybe standard skills that we all have no matter what careers or jobs we're into, and uh, it's amazing how God can use it. It's like I refer to Dave whenever I'm telling his story is that we're, today we're looking for a new kind of missionary. And what I mean by that is that the former missionaries that went before people like Dave they weren't doing anything wrong. They were doing what they knew was best to do with the skills that they had at the time that they did it. And today, things have changed. How many of you know with the invention of the internet uh, sometime in the, the mid-90s that everything changed? And 20 years later or so, we live in a 100% digital world. I have teenagers. If it's not happening on their phone, it's not happening. It's not even a thing. So we have, we have new people with new worldviews and new mentalities and new skill sets doing new kind of mission work to reach a different people globally. And that doesn't mean you have to be young. <laughs> Listen, if you retire, you have to be at least 50-something, right? So I'm 56. 56, yes. okay. All right. So it doesn't have to be young people. This is not a message to just young adults or Gen Zers or millennials to say, go and volunteer. This is to middle-aged people. This is to early retirees, everyone who sees something going on in the world and saying, I need to participate. I've got to get involved. Dave, what did you see? Um, I'm going to use the word problem. That's also a problematic word because we have problems here, by the way. And for those of you who are saying, I'm not into international mission, Get involved in the issues that we have in Canada. There are a lot of issues here, aren't there? You could be on mission in your community and in, across the island. It could spill over into the rest of Canada. You could be working on Canada's problems for the rest of your lives. But there's some people who are called to do that internationally. So, Dave, what kind of things did you see happening in Vanuatu from a distance that you thought, those are issues, maybe I can help? Um. Trying to, trying to get my head around uh, what Dave and Julie were focused on with, uh, you know, I think there was an assumption by me for sure that what do missionaries need in the field? Um, what do Bible translators, like they know the Bible, they, uh, they themselves are, are doing messaging. Um, but um, Dave and Julie really opened my eyes to how much need they have for ministering into their own life. So that in itself was unique. I, I still didn't get it as I left. Um, can't say I did, but when I got there, wow, you know, um, and it was interesting on that note, just traveling with uh, even local people or talking to local people said, what are you doing here? Because there's a lot of churches and there, there's a ton of churches in Van Vanuatu. And when we talked about uh, ministering to um, expatriates, um, they said, that's great because they need it. You know, so there was an observation even from the local people. Um, and I think support within some of the schools uh, was amazing. And I, I do need to give a shout out to Erdo. Um, okay. 
in right after uh, Cyclone Pam had hit um, Port Vila, Vanuatu Islands, uh, a Green, Green Hill School was devastated. And it was a school, though, that uh, the Assemblies of God and the PAOC through Dave and Julie saw um, were really trying to be there for the, the village kids in the jungle there. And um, Erdo stepped in and had Dave and Julie administer the funds to build a kindergarten class. And it was really moving to see the Erdo sign, the PAOC sign, and the Canadian flag. Um, wow. Real terms, uh, you know, real, a real need there. And for the people there to see that other countries care in those kind of special environments, including um, even the missionaries and uh, translators that were, were at ICC. Um, and right now, uh, certainly looking at the prison, I had mentioned it last night, but the, the national prison system has no, um, there are no missionaries getting into the prisons uh, in the national level. So um, I think the Chains to Life ministry that I was a part of have made a difference there. Um, and right now they're uh, really hoping Bobby Smith, the chaplain for the ministry, is certainly hoping to be able to get into that national prison. And in the interim, um, we've been able to get inmates themselves that are being transferred there, commissioned, baptized, baptized and commissioned as missionaries in there. Um, so uh, at least it's something. Imagine a former police officer, RCMP officer, working in the prisons. Imagine him being introduced. <laughs> Right Here's a former officer, and he's going to come in and minister. And then Dave, as he was telling the story last night at the dinner about how inmates who are coming to faith in Christ being transferred to other prisons and bringing the message of Christ uh, as being sent out. You, didn't you t- 30 seconds, the commissioning story and the baptism, if you can, and then we're going to wrap. Yeah, so um, a John Etienne, um, a murderer, he killed a 16-year-old girl. I know we all just balk and go, it's horrible, and it is. Um, ten and a half months in jail, and only two weeks before I got there, he gave his life to Christ, and he'd been uninvolved with Chains to Life Ministry. And in a nutshell, from there, we continued to work with him. We had him start to become a spiritual leader within the uh, prison, and we baptized, and we asked if he'd ever been baptized. He hadn't been. Um, he made a public declaration um, before his transfer to the national prison, and then we commissioned him as a missionary into the national prison into high risk at Lesprito Santo. Um, and we've done that several times right up until the time I left. There's something about this commissioning of, uh, of a convicted felon, a murderer, to other prisons that just gets me excited about how the gospel can spread uh, through willing volunteers. And you would be, uh, you would be very um, uh, cautious to receive any accolades or praise for anything you did, but let me just say this. Uh, Dave, who would have a skill set that maybe none of you would have, and you would bring something else to the table if you were to go on mission. But what Dave did was he simply just brought what he had in his hand. He had a sling. He might have had a staff. He might have had uh, a bag and a couple of smooth stones he may have picked up along the way, a few things that he would have learned and added to his skill set, and then he went off and he served. Uh, so I want to applaud this church and uh, for being a sending church. You send people through money, your global workers that you support. You also send your people who are in your pews, which I love. You know, pastors preach for, for years and years and sometimes decades and say, go, and then 
somebody every once in a while takes a pastor up on that and says, I'll go. And that's a David Goliath moment. So uh, I want to just honor you, Dave, uh, for going. And I know you hate this. You'll you probably, you probably arrest me later, right? Um, but Dave, I honor you for your service. And thank you to, for lifting up the arms of our global workers and for going and serving. Um, so say, say thanks to Dave if you have a chance sometime in the, in the foyer. Awesome. I'm going to end in just a moment, uh, just with a video, and then I'm calling Pastor Darcy back up to end. And uh, are we taking up another offering or the pledge cards? You're going to talk about the pledge cards. So get ready with those pledge cards. Um, I love people who just step up. This, This story of David where he says, I'll go. That seems impossible. Nobody else is going and just has what he has in his hands and he goes. I love this about people. And I know Canadians... 40, it's, it says 47% of you volunteer. You make the world go round. You make this church work. You make communities work when you do that. And can I just challenge you right where you are right now and say, if Dave can do it, you can do it. No matter what age and stage you are in your life, and if you're interested in going on mission, we're interested in talking to you. Between services, I'll be out in the foyer. I have a little table out there with a couple of cards and other propaganda on it. Uh, I'd just love for you to connect with me, talk with me, uh, follow up with me digitally after. We can text, we can video call, whatever, and I'd love to be in touch and chat with you about your David and Goliath moment.